Okay. Good afternoon. This is the Board of Standards and Appeals Public Review Session for April 27th, 2021, the 2 p.m. session. There is no public testimony during the review session. The first item to be discussed is on the zoning calendar, new cases, item number 27, 2020-1BZ, 31 West 27th Street, Manhattan. This is a PCE. So, Vice Chair Shonda was going to take this one. Okay. All right. Thank you, Chair. Um, so we have uh, proof of in initial service and proof of hearing notices to elected officials, community board. Uh, I did not see on the uh, in the uh, folders any proof of notice uh, uh, of notifying um, the tenants. It's a commercial building. Um, it's a 12-story commercial building, so I did not see any proof. So maybe um, project manager can um, direct me to the folder. Um, the community board has waived its recommendation. Uh, we have uh, no objection from fire department. We just received it uh, today. Um, no issues with uh, investigation. This is a, a landmarks uh, build. It's in a historic district. So we do have a, a certificate of no effect from LPC. However, I did not, uh, it's not clear if the LPC also approved the signage. There are two eliminated double-sided blade signs and uh, side-lit pin-mounted signs on the facade. And I did not see any elevation drawings um, in the LPC approved plan. So if the applicant could clarify uh, if there is a signage on the, uh, in the uh, signage from, sign off, I'm sorry, from LPC regarding that. This is a proposed PCE um, that will be located in the cellar, first, second, and third floor of a 12-story commercial building. Uh, the applicant is proposing a box within a box uh, in the in areas where active cycling and um, um, the heavy machineries are going to be put on the, uh, which is going to be located on the third floor. Um, the applicant has provided very detailed um, sections uh, and uh, and uh, materials uh, and also a separate uh, attenuation spec document. Um, I did not have any comments uh, other than the LPC. Um, so let me go around. Um, Mm-hmm. Should I start with you, Madam Chair? Sure. Um, it seemed okay. We got all the sign-offs. That was one of the things that was missing. Uh, no, I don't have any other comments. Okay. Um, Commissioner Otley Brown. There are spa rooms in the cellar. Is there massage at this site? And if so, are there licenses? Okay. All right, uh, Commissioner Shetta. Thank you, Vice Chair. Uh, I didn't see a FEMA map submitted. Uh, the second point is what kind of use on the fourth floor right above the um, cycling area? Uh, is it offices? I understand that the entire building is commercial, but we wanna make sure that the use up, up, upstairs is, is not sensitive to uh, noise slash vibrations. Um, I'm not sure if we got FDN, FDNY. I haven't seen it. And uh, no, I, I want to. We have FDNY to... sign off. We do. No, we, we do. We it received thing. it this morning. Okay. I, I haven't seen it. That's that's yeah. why maybe. I, I have this comment from early uh, uh, last week. Uh, the violations I didn't see in the statement of facts that they indicated anything 
about violations. And if it was open uh, before the hearing, I would like them to submit some interior photos. I, I believe it's a proposed, uh, it's not completed. Yeah, it's, a, it's proposed. Yeah. yeah. If it's a proposed, if it's a proposed, then it's it's not needed. Okay. All right. Thanks. But Commissioner I, Shabet. I, oh, I just sorry. want to clarify the box within the box. That's only for the cycling studio part, right? Right. Yeah. Right. It's okay. within the cycling studio. There are two studios on the third floor. Um, I'm just going to the plans. That uh, there's the cycling studio, the and the Pilates and yoga, and I think there's a box within the box for yoga and the cycling. I guess and the Pilates benefits from those two walls, and the details of those walls are uh, provided in the drawing sheet. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Commissioner Shibata. Um, nothing further from me. I was I was glad to see the box within the box. Uh, I um, I have nothing more to add. Thank you. Okay, move on to the next case. Uh, yes, please. Okay. Item number 28, 2019-38 BC, 222-3496 Avenue, Queens. This is also a PCE. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... We have a proof of initial filing um, and notice um, of hearing uh, to elected officials, committee board. Um, I did not see a proof of posting um, to um, the occup other occupants of this building. This is a one-story large uh, manufacturing building. Um, and... Um, uh, though it's, I mean, the, the you kind of uses, like I said, it's a heavy manufacturing uh, warehouse uh, building. Um, so community board voted uh, in favor. Um, borough president also uh, submitted a letter of approval, uh, um, recommendation approving the project. We have no issues from DOI and FDNY also issued no objection. Um, so this is a legalization of a uh, PCE that has been in operation since April of 2019. It occupies um, about 3,300 square feet of floor area in an existing building. Um, this is a PC, uh, this is, um, which is a cardio and a freeway. Uh, the applicant has filed for a, a PA permit. Um, the applicant is providing just regular attenuation. No, uh, no extraordinary attenuation has been proposed because the all the businesses uh, um, in this building are manufacturing uses, and there is no business operating after five p.m. Um, and um, that's about it. So I had no other comments mm -hmm. on this. Um, okay. Um, yeah. So um, I don't see that there was a revised objection sheet it was submitted i saw it it was revised to have the m11 zoning district it okay. came in i think yesterday today it's daryl's case uh, daryl and right. um um i think they also discussed there was a violation but it wasn't about the yeah. m11 it was the zoning district that needed to be not the zoning section 4210 sorry okay okay yeah sorry 
All right. And then there's an open DOB violation. Something a Daryl. Um, I just can't find. I was trying to look for Darryl, it on my. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Darryl, sorry. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. They they submitted um, a revised um, um, statement of facts, and they submitted the the DOB violation that is, is still outstanding. Um, what they, they say about the status of the violation? They're saying that. Hold on, sorry. Uh, wait, wait. The applicant is saying. Uh, the violation itself does not provide any information as to what it is for. There is an associated complaint that refers the violation and mechanical work being done. The applicant believes that this violation was for modifications to uh, modification to the HVAC system that did not match the plans. The plans for the related mechanical job uh, were modified and have since been signed off. Copies of the A1-1 uh, plan amendment form and letter of completion associated with the job have also been provided. The violation has never been sent to oath or ECB and has uh, no penalties associated with it. The applicant will work towards closing out the violations when closing out the DOB alteration application for the BCE. So this was submitted uh, this morning at 1030. Ah, okay. So I guess the, my question is, um, what do they mean? They don't know what the the violation is for. They seem to know what the violation is for. So I guess if they could explain, yeah, they're just guessing what it's for. That's kind of odd. You know, the the inspector comes to the job and issues a violation. They must know what the violation is for. That's weird. Unless, yeah, okay, all right, go ahead. And one other thing, they submitted interior. Uh, for those other pieces right. you just wanted Good. to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Any, go ahead. Anybody else? Um, Commissioner Ali Brown? No comments. Okay. Mr. Sheta? No comments for me. Thank you. Okay. And Commissioner Shabata? No comments, Chair. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thanks. Um, Good. Okay. We can move on. Okay. I don't, am I not muted yet? Item number 29, 2019-294-BZ, 241-243 Throop Avenue, Brooklyn. Okay, we have proof of service of initial application to officials. Um, and we now have proper notice of hearing to officials and neighbors for this hearing date because we had postponed the last hearing for failure to provide proper notice. Um, we only have a community board committee report that's dated November 30th, 2020 stating that they recommend denial with a vote of two in favor and six opposed. We need to get it We need to find out if the full board voted on this. It's quite strange that we only have after all this time a committee vote. Um, so please, uh, this is Daryl's case, I believe. Um, please uh, reach out to the community board to get a copy of the full board decision. Um, they said, yeah. Um, then, um, Fire department submitted a letter of objection because the rooftop access has not been provided. Um, the application I have to say is rather confused and mixes up different scenarios to, to try to establish an A finding. It discusses an as of right to enlarge the existing building, but proposes in the proposal to demolish the existing building. So 
uh, that's kind of confusing, confusing the different approaches. It's either an obsolescence argument or it's a vacant site argument. Um, the obsolescence argument assumes that you're enlarging the existing building. If you're tearing it down, it's a vacant site argument. Um, so that, so the correct approach in this case would be a site that's vacant, um, 1,033 square feet and a 41 foot five by 25 foot lot, um, more to follow on that general subject. There is also a comment about minimum lot sizes for residential buildings. However, if the zoning lot existed prior to 1961, then this is a pre-existing small lot and can be developed as of right with a one or two family building, irrespective of lot size um, pursuant to 23-33. There is no minimum lot area for a commercial building. So it could also be developed as a commercial building um, with a with two FAR um, and um, and also obviously a community facility building of some type, doctor's offices or a school or something like that. Um, but but then speaking of pre-existing zoning lots and why the applicant didn't mention this is a pre-existing zoning lot is because it isn't. Um, the historical tax maps show that this tax tax lot was apportioned in 1973 and was sold off as two separate parcels by the same owner in 1971. So, um, so really we may be done with this application um, because the small lot, which is the hardship complained of the smallness of the lot was self-created by a predecessor in title. So fails the hardship, the self-created hardship finding. The only way to overcome that issue is to somehow establish that the combined lots um, the adjacent lot is eight and this lot six would have needed the same waivers to be developed. And we do have cases where that was established by um, other applicants um, provided they could establish also that the lot that was subdivided was unique. Um, uh, so the lot before it was subdivided was unique. Um, uh, this site is in an R7D zoning district with a C24 commercial overlay that provides very generous FAR of 4.2. So that would allow um, for residential um, and community facility use. So that would allow 4,338 square feet. Um, uh, but again, because the, the lot may not predate 1961, they wouldn't be allowed to do residential as of right. So they would be there with community facility as of right up to 4.2 FAR. And they can include in that community facility up to two point FAR for commercial. Um, in addition, this is in an inclusionary housing designated area. So the as of right residential FAR and you know, I, I don't know if there's ever been a conclusion about whether you can increase FAR in general in an inclusionary housing designated area, uh, because the goal is to include, to buy credits from, um, you know, to buy credits to develop affordable housing. So you would think anybody buying credits could move it, but I don't know if that's been decided. Commissioner Shonda thinks no. Um, anyway, I'm just throwing that out. But if you if you could build residential as of right on this lot, you could increase the floor area 
to 5.6 FAR, so that's 5,700 square feet, um, through the purchase of inclusionary housing credits under section 23-154. Um, so, so I have to say the ask of 6.35 FAR is way off the bat of reasonable, um, given that the hardship is merely the small lot size for which perhaps only lot coverage waivers um, would be needed to enable residential development. And I'm saying lot coverage because the site is within 100 feet of a corner, so there's no rear yard requirement. And the shallow lot makes residential use viable, even residential use viable, because only front-facing windows need to provide legal light and air. So you, you actually have a perfect depth of building. And, and actually, the original site here which was 25 by 100 was the typical corner condition for, um, for like tenement buildings, as an example. They were always built on that corner. They, in fact, they're the best version of a tenement because they have windows on three sides, on, on sorry, on two sides. sides that are, on two sides that are, as of right, easy. And oftentimes, which is probably the case here, the little 25 footer at the back was lower. So it even allowed for, um, for, for windows on three sides um, because the bottom floor was often a commercial that just went all the way through the lot. That's like the typical, typical corner um, tenement situation. So, um, so um, furthermore, there's a maximum base height in this area of um, in the zoning district of 60 feet. So the building could be built without setbacks to that height. And the sliver law limits the overall height to 70 feet for this narrow street. So it's only a 10 foot sort of penalty if you were building as a right, if you wanna call it a penalty, right? You can't go higher than the 60 feet because otherwise you have a setback requirement. So we could see an as of right building, as I said, with two FAR commercial and complying either quality housing, residential or community facility. Um, it's an equality housing area. Um, the as of right drawing should therefore show the quality height, quality housing height and setback requirements. Um, and without going into further detail, um, because it's not my department, I'm just going to say that um, I believe that a two-story commercial building which is basically a box with a stair will cost, it's hard and impossible to believe that that would cost 2 million to develop while a seven story mixed use building costs 4 million. I, I just don't even understand that as kind of an entry position and I didn't even go into the details. So, um, so those are my initial comments. Um, so I, I think we have a, a tall question here to overcome. Um, Vice Chair Shonda. Thank you. Um, so in terms of uniqueness, uh, I think if the combined lots can, uh, can justify it, um, I mean, uh, this site would definitely fall in that category uh, in terms of the uniqueness. Um, so my question remains similar to yours is in terms of the ask uh, 
when I was looking at the financial and I would like to hear uh, from uh, Commissioner Otley Brown. I mean, this is one of those projects where we typically would be asking them to use the Marshall and Swift kind of thing, maybe, uh, I don't know. And, uh, and, and yes, the analysis was confusing because of the as of right existing building modified versus as of right new construction. So, uh, they should provide an as of right new construction of maximum build possibilities. Um, I think in terms of the FAR ask, it is a lot more. Um, and, uh, and until they can justify the financial hardship uh, accurately, I'm not sure we are there yet. And it wasn't clear. Uh, from the documentations provided if they were separately owned. Thanks for clarifying that. I was trying to read through that document, trying to understand it, uh, but uh, thank you for clarifying that. And um, I think uh, seven stories too tall for this area, though across the street, we have a 10 story building that is coming up, but that's a very large frontage building. It's like a full block frontage building um, to use that as a, the context and therefore to say that seven story is appropriate, I'm not sure. Uh, I think here, it, this is part of a tenement housing development frontage and uh, something more akin to that should be proposed in terms of the building form and height. Okay. That's all. Thank you. Um, thank you, Commissioner Ali Brown. So uh, I agree with you, Chair, that this is gonna be very challenging for the applicant. And reason being is that their uniqueness finding is based on the fact that this lot was always in this current configuration and that's simply not so. And so originally this lot was a 25 by 100 lot and in 1971, it was actually apportioned. And at the time that it was apportioned, it was owned by Warshell Realty and then sold to two different entities. And then I didn't look any further to see what happened, but prior to 1971, this was a standard 25 by 100 foot um, corner lot. And if you look at the radius diagram, there are corner lots in the radius that are even smaller than this at 20 by 100. And so given the fact that this appears to be a self-created hardship because they're apportioning the property and then later saying this property is too small for me to do anything with, that's problematic. So for me, in order to get past that uniqueness finding, they would have to analyze the lot as if it were back in its combined original state of 2,500 and judge it based on other similarly situated um, corner lots in that area. And I don't think they can make the um, grade doing that simply because as I said before, there are lots um, corner lots that are actually narrow, narrower and also more shallow than this lot. So that's gonna be their big challenge for me. Then I also have a question of, I feel like this proposal, should they make that um, benchmark? The proposal is in a large ask. They're asking for, 6.35 FAR. And if you look at the buildings surrounding it, in the buildings that are, are nearby on small lots, they aren't large like that. And it's 
you do have a nine-story mixed-use building under construction, and you do have NYCHA buildings in the area that range from 12 to 16 stories, but those are different type of building contexts because the NYCHA buildings are those tower in the park kind of buildings. And so what I would need is not necessarily um, uh, just a general look at the heights of various buildings in the area, but I would need an FAR study of the surrounding buildings because I think that this building would be very densely constructed and appear much larger from a massing perspective than anything in the radius diagram. So then I looked at the financials and the first thing I noticed is that they're trying to do too many things here. They're talking about how the site is small, smaller than everything else, and also that it has a one-story building that probably they're gonna argue is kind of obsolete for its current use. I'm not sure I agree with that, but then all, they're valuing it as if it's gonna remain a one-story building. And so the comparables are all one-story retail buildings. And I feel that this is overstating the value because in actuality, what they really wanna do is demolish the building. And there as of right is demolishing the building as well. So therefore it should be valued as if it is vacant land. I'm thinking perhaps they valued it the way they did because they were trying to back into the site value that um, occurred in 2016 when this lot sold for $622,500. I think that was probably speculation. And the reason why I say so is because in 2006, this very same lot sold for only $175,000. In 10 years, it went up 300% in price. I kind of find that a little difficult to believe. So therefore, I think what they have to do, if they want to go, if they meet their uniqueness finding, they have to then talk about how, because this is an obsolete building, they're just going to knock it down, value it as if it's vacant land, and then go forth from that point. Then... Um, in terms of the retail, well, what I want them to do is actually then get rid of the as-is because there's no need to give us an as-is because they had no intention of leaving it that way. So that kind of takes away my comments from the retail leases because that's the only thing I really had a comment for. Um, I had a comment about the residential leases in that comp one is supposed to be a renovation of an old building and therefore requires more of an adjustment upwards for condition. That's what they state. However, they only adjust it upwards to the same degree as the other ones that were in better condition. I'm not quite sure why they need to explain that. I think it was probably an error. And then finally, my other major issue has to do with the construction costs because the as of right is $444 a square foot. And that's just for a two-story commercial building that's really gonna be delivered more or less vacant, just walls, floors, and ceilings. So, and it's, like you said, a staircase up to the second floor. I'm not quite sure how in anyone's book that would be as expensive as that, especially in a case like this where there are no subsurface costs. So they're actually, that plus the site value is driving the project S. They're both of them to me are overinflated. And so those are my thoughts. So the proposed is what per, per 
$417. Oh. And yet it's even less, but it's still on the high side. Yeah, okay. Okay, back to the Marshall and Swift <laughs> world. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, Commissioner Shetta. Thank you, Chair. I'm, I'm gonna start with the, where Commissioner Brown ended. Um, actually, I'm, I'm not sure the 400 figure, uh, how was that reached, but I did look at the construction cost per square foot for the as of right, and I, I do have $670 per square foot based on adding the base construction cost and the soft cost. I'm not sure if this is what Commissioner Brown did, uh, but I used to add that soft cost to the hard cost and then take that divided by the gross floor area. If, of course, if I divide by the zoning, it's gonna be higher, but I divided by the gross floor area and it's giving me about 670 for, for, for the as of right, for the proposed, it's given a less figure, it's giving me $530 per square foot. And if, if you just forget about the construction cost estimate that they provided, because they don't have any hardship related to engineering or construction means and methods, if you just factor in uh, something that's based on Marshall and Swift, a range of 150 to $200 per square foot, for a low-rise building, just to two-story building to four-story building, that would be more than fair. And if you factor in that, you can like easily conclude that the as-of-right scenario with retail and office is about to be okay. So I'm 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 not sure uh, where from or how they got to the gigantic construction cost per square foot, I did try to, to follow, but it sounds like people becoming paying attention to foundation, SOE, and then boom, it sounds like they, they noticed that we start looking at the foundation numbers, the concrete numbers, we scrutinize them very well, but probably that like the cost exaggeration is, is heading somewhere in the cabinet pricing or in somewhere else. So just forget about the detailed construction cost. And since you don't have a hardship related to engineering, just get a figure from Marshall and Swift or RS means, factor that in. And if, if we buy the return numbers that they submitted, even if we buy, I would say, even if we buy the return numbers that they submitted with these financials and they plug in $150 per square foot, to 200, we're done. We don't need to look at this case anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. The uh, as-is scenario is, is not in play, so it's useless to include it. I believe they included it for just a, like a, it's, it's, it's a kind of showing us, look, we have one, two scenarios that are not feasible, and then we have nothing to do but the proposed. So please exclude that as is scenario and include, since this is this is a commercial district or a commercial could be built an, as, as a, an as of right scenario here, include a residential uh, option. And I believe it should be one with and one without the inclusionary housing credit, if, if, if they want to do it that way. Uh, other than that, I have nothing else for now. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Shiveta. Uh, thank you, Chair. So um, I don't want to be repetitive, but I will uh, I will say that my my major contention at this moment, and uh, I think this, this threshold issue is, uh, has been mentioned, but I think is something that this uh, applicant needs to uh, address before we should address the, the anything else is that this is uh, this doesn't pass the D finding in that um, this was self created. Um, now, if they want to uh, move forward, I think the only way to do that would be is to um, look at this lot as it was in 1971 when they were both when it was owned with the adjoining lot. And if at that point you find that there is some uh, some um, hardship with this joined lot, then I think we can start discussing the uh, the the other findings. Uh, so I'm not going to go into uh, what I think about the uh, the size of the ask here because I still haven't really understood whether or not I can address this as an actual hardship. So um, at this point, uh, that's my my first question. And then if we can, I think the best way to address that question would be in writing because. I don't think that's something that can be argued uh, away during the hearing. Okay. Um, so I just want to add, and we'll discuss it more at the hearing. Um, the cases that come to mind about these um, uh, post 61 subdivision variance applications, you know, I think of one where the lot was shaped like a butterfly. Um, so it was obviously a unique site, even combined. Um, we've had other ones. I can't remember if those were similarly odd like that butterfly. Um, so that, that's, that's the issue really. When it's put back together again, is it unique? Um, it's not just, would it suffer the same? I mean, I mean, ultimately, would it suffer the same hardship as part of kind of your uniqueness argument, look, nobody else would suffer, or let's say very few other sites would suffer the hardship that I would suffer, I can't build on this lot because, right? Um, not, I'm just not sure whether you could make that finding in this case, but um, the, the lot adjacent, lot eight, I think that is, is vacant. And this lot has a building on it that is of, I'm not sure what its condition is. So they're arguing that the building is obsolete for um, they're sort of arguing it's obsolete in their, in their approach at an A finding. Um, but they're not going so far as we saw, I think that was either 19th street or 18th street where that building, they argued that the building was obsolete because it could, it actually wasn't structurally sound. And then they gave us a lot of proof that it wasn't structurally sound, therefore it had to come down, right? I don't know if that's the case here, but that's kind of the only way they would get to um, a fully vacant lot. And then say, we have a vacant lot, essentially a vacant lot, which arguably makes it a little bit more unique. Or they might say, we have a vacant, a part vacant lot with a little building on it. So maybe that's an argument for uniqueness. I don't know, but in other words, they would have to pursue that in, in distinguishing themselves from all the other 25 by 100 corner lots, which is typical in this neighborhood, not to mention New York City. So anybody want to add anything to that? Okay. 
someone is speaking. John, could you mute yourself, please? Yeah, John, I'm muting him. Okay. All right, let's go on to the next. Item number 30, 2020, 18BZ, 920 Shore Boulevard, <coughs> Brooklyn. Okay. Excuse me. Um, there are no notice requirements for uh, requests for rehearings, uh, motions to rehear. However, notice of hearing was submitted to neighbors and officials. Um, there are three letters in support. This is an application to request a rehearing of a 73 622 application that we denied on October 19th, 2020. Although it is characterized in the statement of facts by the applicant as a rehearing request, none of the criteria for such a request under section 1.12.5 um, of our rules were addressed. Instead, this appears to be a request to re-argue under rule 1.12.4. The findings for a re-argument or that the applicant established that the board, quote, misapprehended the relevant facts or misapplied any controlling principles of law. By way of a little background for the record and for the court, if it should come to that, in February, 2017, this property received a zoning resolution section 73-622 special permit to allow the enlargement of an existing house and waiver of floor area, yard, and lot coverage requirements. At the time of the original application, we learned that the existing home had been very badly damaged by Superstorm Sandy. And this board was very concerned about two things, that the extent of the proposed improvements would constitute a quote, substantial improvement under the building code, such that it would have to comply with flood mitigation measures as set forth in building code appendix G, which would have meant the lifting of the existing structure above base flood elevation and the filling in of the existing cellar and the inability to occupy the floor that was at grade, normally thought of as the first floor. To address these concerns, the board directed the applicant to obtain from DOB review of the proposal's compliance with appendix G which review had to allow for the retention of the existing structure in order to proceed with the 73-622 special permit. Um, the board's second concern was that due to the building's compromised post-hurricane condition, the builders would not be able to retain enough of the existing building's walls and floors to constitute an existing building, and hence the building would not qualify for the special permit which is available only to existing residential buildings as articulated in section 73-622 of the zoning resolution. In response to this concern, the applicant revised the project to show 100% retention of existing foundation walls and 63% retention of the existing perimeter walls on the first and second floors. And that's actually cited in the resolution, which, um, which goes on, I have, I've cut and pasted where it says that in the resolution and also about Appendix G and so on. In granting the special permit after three hearings, the board imposed many conditions, one of which says that the removal of any existing exterior walls indicated to remain on the BSA approved plans shall void the special permit. And we put that in 
with the expectation that that would happen because of the very compromised condition of the building um, at the time of the application and kind of un, let's say very uncertain that they would be able to continue construction without demolishing the building and, and essentially so it came to pass. On June 5th, 2018, Department of Buildings approved the scope of work and an alteration type one permit was issued on uh, August 15th, 2018. In April of 2019, if I have the date right, please correct me if I'm wrong, one of our commissioners passed by the site and observed that the entire building had been demolished and that an entirely new building was going up in its stead. The board had not been notified of this fact by the property owner, its architect, or its council. Consequently, the board sent out its own compliance officer to conduct additional inspections and provide more photographic documentation and notify DOB of its discovery, in response to which DOB issued a stop work order on April 11th, 2019. On April 17th, 2019, the board notified the owner of its observations and allowed them an opportunity to demonstrate compliance with the terms of the grant. Owner's May 17th, 2019 letter corroborated the board's findings. On June 11th, 2019, the board held a compliance hearing at which the owner and its consultants were given an opportunity to defend or deny their actions. No one appeared on their behalf at the hearing and no evidence in support of compliance was provided. The board therefore revoked the special permit under the express terms of the grant. The subject of this application is to, re, is to re-argue was an application for a 73-622 special permit based upon the amount of existing new construction at the site. The board concluded as stated in the resolution that there was no existing building upon which to consider the request. The, spe the special permit is by its terms available only to existing buildings. And I note that the DO Department of Buildings Bulletin as referred to in the subject submission, which relates to whether an applicant may apply for an alteration type one application or an NB, which is a new building application, is actually irrelevant to the board's finding. Testimony at the October 6, 2020 hearing by the architect indicated that Department of Building even allows alteration type one applications for 100% or nearly 100% teardowns. However, this board has long determined that a residential building must exist on the site in order to meet the first threshold for a 73-622 special permit, and that the proposed project that leads to the enlargement of the existing home may not remove more than 50% of its existing walls and joists to qualify for the special permit. As to the re-argument findings, and whether first that the board, quote, misapprehended the relevant facts, unquote, I listened to the October 6th and October 19th review sessions and public hearings. So therefore all of the hearings that were held on that application, the board understood that the written testimony from the Manhattan Beach Community Group was not from the community board. 
The board also heard testimony from applicants council that refuted the statement in the Manhattan Beach Community Board's letter concerning a truck being the cause of the demolition. From the board's expressed perspective, the reason for the demolition was immaterial. What was material was that the existing building no longer existed in any form and a special permit was properly revoked upon the board's discovery of that fact. What was also material was that all documentation of the site that was provided to the board showed the shell of a building and that this, the board concluded, did not constitute an existing residential building eligible for a 73-622 special permit. The board also heard testimony from the project architect who stated that the building as drawn and under construction would comply with the flood mitigation regulations of Appendix G. That was a statement from the architect that we didn't contest in the, um, during the hearing. Furthermore, the board heard testimony from applicants council and the district council member indicating the council members and community board support for the project, along with support from approximately eight neighbors. So the board was aware of the community board's support for the project, although it didn't receive the community board's email to that effect until after the hearing was completed. So there was no misapprehension of the relevant facts. As to whether the board misapplied any controlling principles of law, I've already discussed the irrelevancy of the DOB's bulletin. That bulletin was discussed at the October 6th hearing, at which time the owner's architect advised us of DOB's interpretation that allows 100% teardown to be considered an alteration. That is, as I said, not the board standard. And by the, by the way, the board has seen this bulletin before in connection with the 73622 applications, so was aware of it, contrary to applicants' assertion in their submission on this re-argument um, application. As to the applicant's reliance on CAPA, um, which stands for, I forget what it stands for, but anyway, CAPA. Um, Citywide Administrative <laughs> Procedure Act. Say that one more time. Citywide Administrative Procedure Act. There you go, thank you. So CAPA applies to rulemaking and the conduct of hearings and notice associated with such rulemaking. And actually the board conducts its rulemaking hearings pursuant to CAPA, so actually has experience applying CAPA when it's, when it's applicable to its rulemaking authority. However, the board's conduct in public hearings is on the contrary, governed by chapter 27, section 663 of the New York City Charter and section 1-11 of title two, chapter one of the rules of the city of New York and article seven of the New York state open meetings law. Um, in any event, Testimony was taken from the applicant's counsel, the applicant's architect, and one of the applicant's supporters. The owner was also present at the live stream public hearing, but elected not to speak. Um, our counsel, my, our counsel here at the BSA, also provides supporting citations in response to applicants' allegations about the board's conduct at the hearings, which I will read into the record um, for the benefit of a court if it as I say, comes to that. In Gordon v. Brown, which the applicant cites at length, 
um, a case in which the Court of Appeals rejects a former city employee um, employees claim that he was denied due process because he wasn't permitted to question all of the technicians who processed his laboratory tests. The court stated in the quote, in the absence of any particular allegation of error, we reject the blanket rule proposed by petitioner that due process in every instance requires production of all witnesses, unquote. And this is relevant because the application applicant in this case is saying that we should have um, we should have uh, subpoenaed or insisted that all witnesses testify, referring to the representative from the Manhattan Beach community group, so that they could question whether a truck hit the building or not, which I've already said was irrelevant to our um, determination. Um, and another quote from the same case: um, in the absence of any um, per particular allegation of error. On this record, we cannot agree that the hearing officer's reliance on the testimony of Dr. So-and-so was unlawful, and we reject the blanket rule proposed by petitioner that due process in every instance requires production of all such witnesses, and there is only a limited right to cross-examine adverse witnesses in administrative proceedings. Um, and most relevantly, I think, an agency need not address all potential issues when one of those issues is dispositive, which, and the issue that was dispositive in our decision to deny, to revoke the special permit was that the building had been demolished and it did not matter how. Um, okay, and I think um, our general counsel might wanna add something to this. Yes, um, I just wanted to note that the section of the city charter that they're referring to with respect to adjudication applies to other administrative tribunals like the Office of Administrative Trials and Hearings. In the city charter in section uh, 1048, actually, it says that there shall be an Office of Administrative Trials and Hearings, which shall conduct adjudicatory hearings for all agencies of the city. Um, similar language appears in I believe a total of 17 sections throughout the New York City Charter. So where the city council felt that it was necessary to specify that a hearing should be adjudicatory, it said so. Um, similar language is not present in the charter sections that have to do with the New York City Board of Standards and Appeals. And actually courts and other in the context of um, the CPLR, uh, which has to do with evidentiary hearings and the substantial evidence standard have um, consistently held that zoning boards such as the BSA um, conduct administrative hearings that are not um, in effect uh, sort of quasi-judicial. Um, and so when um, evaluating the board's decisions, it looks to a rational basis standard. And obviously we know that substantial evidence is required in order for the board to for instance, grants a, grant a variance under section 7221 of the zoning resolution. Um, it's just important to note that um, in the context of the characterization of the hearing, that these are actually administrative proceedings. Um, and even the section that uh, 
they cite to define adjudication um, discusses named parties. And so the, um, the thing to note about the zoning board is that all of these decisions do not have to do with named parties and um, property ownership is actually not a valid zoning purpose. Um, instead, these decisions relate to real property and the allowable uses um, under the zoning resolution. And so um, this is not the sort of hearing that would be contemplated by a section, I believe, 1046 of the New York City Charter that has to deal with adjudications, which um, is properly understood as applying to other administrative tribunals, again, such as the Office of Administrative Trials and Hearings. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, Vice Chair Shonda. I really have nothing more to add. You have been very thorough in your statement. Um, I just, I don't know what to say. And, and I think I want to add one thing is that if, this, if the applicant thinks that now that the new existing building has been built and um, want to come back and secure a special permit because in this zoning district, the special work permit is applicable, I don't think that's what the intent of this special permit was. It was not to allow an extension of an existing, it wasn't allowing for an existing building, but existing building that was almost not serving the purpose of the, of the residents because it was so built so many years ago and then living conditions and all of those have changed significantly and it required uh, alteration and modification to adjust to the new, um, uh, living standards. This building knowingly has built it very recently with the living standard with one bathroom, a 5,000 square foot building with one bathroom. I'm sorry, that's uh, that was done with the intention of wanting a special permit to get another bathroom. I, I, that's not what the intent of this special permit will be. And we should access or, or nor should be exercised that should it come back two years later for a special permit under that. I want to be very clear about that. If I'm on the board, I will not allow it. I will not approve it. Thank you. Okay, understood. Thank you. Michelle Brown. I fully agree with you, Chair, that this is not a case where we were erring in our interpretation of the facts. Um, so, you know, I don't see that a rehearing is, is warranted here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Sheta. Thank you, Chair. Um, first of all, I, I want to say that I'm in full agreement with what you said. Second, I would like to express my deep frustrations because of two things. Number one, because of the kind of the like so-called facts that the applicant tried to put in his statement of facts, supposedly, to, to us. And, and the second thing, I, I got the impression that he's trying to make up a story to convince the same personnel who was like involved, I would say distorted version of a story, to convince the same people who were involved in the original version of that story. We are the board, 
we were the board back then. I actually went to the hearing, the last hearing on this case when we uh, denied this uh, application. And I did listen to every single word on that hearing. And, and one of the things that I was amazed by is that the, the applicant claimed, for example, that we denied his application back then before even looking at his submission on the day of the hearing. And I repeated on the day of the hearing, you know what? We're not required to look at submissions that were made on the same day or a day before the hearing. Submission date is well known to all applicants and should be respected. And if we look at something that's submitted a day before or so, that's because we're very cooperative with applicants and we wanna push applications forward. This is a courtesy. It's not a right to any of that. I, I did actually look at the, that 3D rendering. I, I recall it like it was yesterday. When we were in the office, I did look at it and I went to the hearing after looking at this. So the claim that nobody looked at it is simply a lie. It's not correct. And the other thing is actually, I got the impression that the, the applicant is trying to tell us that the chair did get, was like confused because she read something from what she saw is a community board, but it wasn't. You know what, again, I did go back to the hearing and if you check the testimony from a chair, it continued from minute 18 and 10 seconds to minute 24. All what you took, it's just the first 30 seconds when she started reading the testimony as if it was coming from the community board, but then she stopped and she said, oh, after actually after being corrected by uh, Miss Marius, she, she, she corrected that she's reading from Manhattan Beach community group and then continue. So again, to imply that that chair of the board was reading from a document that she didn't know where it was coming from is another lie. So please, let's, let's, I, I, I fully understand that he's struggling, the applicant is struggling, but this, this situation is not caused by this board. You got a special permit, you didn't respect the condition of that special permit, and you took yourself to the current situation. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, like the, the vice chair mentioned, I'm not sure when this, if they are gonna be coming back, when they come back, on what ground we gonna be looking at a request for a special permit. So I'm not in favor of like rehearing this and enough is enough, thank you. Mm -hmm. I just wanna remind speakers, this is only an application to re-argue. Re so we shouldn't be deciding about a case that doesn't exist, okay? I, and I know they can listen to lots of testimony before about what we think, um, but this is an application to re-argue, okay? Um, thanks, and, and please keep, that in mind when there's testimony with respect to the re-argument hearing that will come up because they will have an opportunity to speak, okay? Um, uh, Commissioner Shibeto. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I do uh, 
I'm, I'm just going to briefly say I, I thank you for your uh, testimony. Uh, I think that um, you've covered uh, much of what everyone else was thinking. Um, I don't want to go into just uh, it, it's uh, a little issue of mine is that when you ask for a rehearing or a re-argument, I think that needs to be flushed out. I don't think they did that here. But, uh, but what they did do was uh, uh, a very good attempt at uh, muddying the waters as to what our decision was and why. Um, I think it's pretty clear that we saw something as a matter of fact and prima facie on its face, uh, the, the result is, is, un, is inevitable. inevitable. The, this case was denied because there was no structure for residential use. It has that, there's nothing that uh, can undo that right now. Um, so I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced that there should be any rehearing or re-argument by that matter. Thank you. All right. Oh, I just wanted to add um, one further thing. There was a misstatement in their papers as to um, the reason for why the board swears in um, uh, people at the hearings. And that is was in response to uh, recent legislation from a few years ago, not from CAPA in 1988. Yes, correct. Yeah. And that's actually been something that's been promoted by council members for a long time, this piece of legislation that actually was passed. So, okay, thank you, that's helpful. All right, let's go on. Final item is continued hearing item number 31, 2020-73-BZ, 2500 Park Avenue, the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, hold, hold just one second. Okay, so um, let's hear from Tracy and Jella what the most recent situation is with DOB, with DOT. Right, um, DOT and the applicant have been going back and forth finalizing language for hopefully a, at least a draft sign off today. Um, DOT is having some internal emergencies, but they're trying to work with us okay. on this and the applicant. Okay, because I think um, I had had a few, let's see, sorry, let me just, okay. So yeah, what we're really waiting for, of course, is DOT sign off. We have a conditional letter of approval from, um, and Jealous Hand is up. So I, I just want to Dinesh, we have a conditional letter of approval from, uh, or no objection from the fire department right. um, who says they're going to be issuing a, a, a letter of condition. So I hope that um, we get that so we can incorporate that into the resolution. Um, Jella, you, you wanna? Um, yeah, they sent an updated letter. That's why I was raising my hand. I did forward it, but there was a lot of discussion at this hearing. So I imagine you would not have looked at it, <laughs> but. But yeah, the letter doesn't have the conditions. It just says we will issue a conditional letter, right? So there's a new conditional letter. Oh, there is. Um, that yeah, it was um, emailed 11. So you were in the middle of the hearing. Uh, um, it says, um, please be advised that the Bureau of Operations, City Planning Unit, and Fire Prevention Rooftop Access Unit 
has requested minor revisions to the plan submitted. These revisions are minor in nature and the fire department has no objections to the Board of Science Appeals rendering a decision for this application. Um, and then they indicate that they issued the letter of no objection. Um, and basically in the email, uh, John Daly says the condition we are requesting are that final approval from New York City Fire Department shall be obtained from the Bureau of Operations City Planning Unit and the Bureau of Fire Prevention's rooftop access unit. So those are incorporated in, like, in the letter. Mm -hmm. So is that okay? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is a little hard to do on the fly like that. Okay. So, um, so uh, also I'm multitasking. Um, so mm -hmm. so uh, we also had on the EAS, they were going to issue a, a revised um, and commitment I said, letter. Yeah, the commitment letter is going to be revised to conform to the um, EAS, right? Yes, they're finalizing that language as well. Okay, so I just want to remind, see Stephen Grasso's hand is up. Um, this is still a review session. Uh, and then we're going to switch into the public hearing, at which point you'll be able to testify on the application that you're associated with. Okay, so give us a little bit and then we'll switch to the public hearing. Um, okay, so I guess we'll get some more updates from the applicant and figure out how we're going to handle and whether we can, you know, whether we're still uh, have to remain open under seeker. The idea of putting this case last today was um, to allow them time to fit, complete the seeker review. Um, so let's see what happens. Okay. Uh, and also, um, what else? I had had some questions that they responded to. I had asked um, questions about the um, the new submission includes the fire lane striping, the fire. Yeah, I guess it's a fire zone striping. I just was trying to understand it. So they submitted something to um, explain a little better how the fire zones work as opposed to just the no standing school days. The fire zones are stricter. And um, by having the striping, it prevents anyone from standing there at any time and allows for the truck to make a, the fire truck to make an easier turn. Um, and then there was a discussion about the, um, in my mind, the bike racks that um, I don't think there are adequate bike racks given the city's new biking orientation, but um, the applicant is gonna work with DOT um, and doesn't need to do it before we vote. The applicant will just continue to work with DOT about bike racks. And um, what else? Yeah, and I, this was just a really rec a recommendation was that uh, because I think that there's probably more biking than they realize, but there's the existence of city bike and there are city bike stands all over this area. I mean, city bike has really expanded that maybe they reach out to City Bike to see if they could get something a little bit closer to the school or um, so that there's adequate biking docks. But anyway, okay. So uh, Vice Chair Shonda. Um, no, I really have no comments. I just am waiting for the sign-offs, but uh, if we can do some conditional approval, if time is of the essence, 
uh, with regards to DOT one also, I would be amenable to that discussion. Right, yes, that's what we're trying to do. So this is the thing. So because it's seeker, we need the seeker, we need the neg deck and you know, certain things are allowed to be conditional and certain things have to be part of the project. So that's sort of the critical thing, right? So we're kind of working with Tracy and DOT's guidance to kind of walk that line, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, so um, then uh, Commissioner Ali Brown. I have no additional comments. Okay, uh, Commissioner Shetta. Same here, I have nothing additional, thank you. Okay, and Commissioner Shibeta. Uh, nothing to add here, thank you, Chair. Okay, thanks. All right. Tony, you're muted. You're probably speaking, but you're muted. <laughs> Still Can't mute. There you go. I got it now, sorry. This concluded the public review session for April 27, 2021, 2 p.m. session. We will now commence with the public hearing for April 27, 2021, 2 p.m. session. The first item up again is uh, new cases, item number 27, 2020-1BZ31 West 27th Street, Manhattan. Should be Todd, right? Don't even see him. Not there. Not so far. Oh, there he is. Sorry. Adam. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, so let me sway you in. To affirm, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in your testimony before this board and to respond honestly to board member questions. I do affirm. You just so you know, after you join the first time, it always kicks you out and then logs you back in. So that's we do that intentionally so we make sure you really want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do want to be here. Um, so I do affirm to tell the truth. Um, I did listen to the review session. Um, it seems as if there were a few questions, which I will hope to address today. Uh, with respect to the first question, the LPC signage, due to the pandemic, this project was on hold for some time. Um, there is no yet uh, a, a landmarks approval for the exterior that is pending. Um, we expect that it would be approved, but I don't have an expected date as to when that approval would be issued. Um, can, to the question can, about sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, Todd. Can we put on the drawings then? Uh, signage pending LPC approval. Uh, we we could do that. that. Uh, so that you know, if we unless unless you get the approval by the time we actually vote on this. Understood. So right. Yes, the next, uh, I believe, another question raised was with respect to massage therapy. Um, there may be massage services offered at this point. There has have been no therapists hired because the site is not yet open. And again, with the public health concerns, they weren't quite sure what the opening date would be, but uh, this operator is an experienced operator is aware of the requirements and would agree to any condition and a resolution regarding uh, licensing of any future hires. Mm -hmm. okay. Okay. 
Um, uh, with respect, I believe uh, Vice Chair, you raised a question about tenant notice. Um, as a matter of practice, we've notified when it's a renewal or a legalization. Uh, in this instance, there's no facility there, so we didn't notify tenants within the building. Um, right. So, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We don't notify for PCEs. Right. When Unless it's a legalization. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, let me interrupt. And then I believe Commissioner Shetta asked, um, with respect to the fourth floor, it's not on the plans, but it, it's offices and common areas that are above um, the third floor. However, as noted on the plans, um, you know, Equinox is an experienced operator. We did seek to provide attenuation information, just the general information, but also the specific box within a box construction for the cycling studio, which tends to be more intensive use. Um, there's, we don't anticipate any issues whatsoever with sound and vibration, but again, the site is not yet open. Um, so we don't have a, a means to ask the office above if there are going to be any issues. Well, we can always, we can do like we do on many of our cases. We can say that uh, noise and vibration uh, shall not pose a nuisance to neighbors or something like that. And we happily agree to that condition. And anyway, you have so much, so much acoustical separation here on compared to some of the other ones we right. see. Um, you know, that would be quite a sad story if after all that money. Is <laughs> <laughs> Understood. And as I said, Equinox um, is very familiar with issues of that type and tries to, you know, mimic uh, successful sites they have in other locations. Right. Okay. Um, other than that, I don't believe there are any other questions that were missed. Um, as noted, the site's not yet open. And to be honest, they're not planning to open until 2022. So. Wow. Oh, um, because it takes a long time to build this fully out. Right. And also because of the uncertainty of, yeah. of everything. Yes. Of everything, everything. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, Say, oh, with respect to the LPC signage, um, I think the safest thing to do because I then I saw Tony's eyebrows go up when I said what I said about LPC. <laughs> she was like, "What? Um, we're not supposed to approve things that um, before LPC signs off." She right. nods approvingly at me like this. So right. there's two options: one, you receive the approval, and then good. And two is you take the drawings, uh, the banners off the drawings. So it's not viewed as us approving the banners. Like they're not before us. Understood. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. What I would suggest is because this is not going to open and I realize that we have an extended or limited summer schedule. Um, if there were no substantive issues and the board were willing to close pending LPC submission, you know, perhaps we could set a decision date a few months forward and just see where we are at that point. I think that's okay. We're not voting. The rule is we right. can't vote. Not right. So if you just closed and. Okay. And so we put a decision date. Let's talk about this while we wait for the public to call in. Otherwise, we're, we won't sure. have to lose that. Okay. So we also need a FEMA map. Vice Commissioner Shed asked for a FEMA map. Oh, yeah. Firm map. A firm, uh, firm map. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't hear that. Sure, we can we can do the firm map. Okay, the application we are currently discussing is 2020-1BZ, 31 West 27th Street, Manhattan. 
If you want to call in, it is 646-558-8656. Zoom webinar ID number 983-2660-8679. And the passcode, should you need it, is 953-309. And when you call, you can press star nine to raise your hand and star six to unmute to speak. And if you're in the Zoom room already, please raise your Zoom hand. Thank you. All right, so why don't we do this? Um, uh, we will, as you say, you'll give, you'll submit that material to us um, before a, a decision hearing that might be like in September. That way it should give you enough time for LPC, arguably, to do what they have to do. Does that sound sure, good? Sure, that, that, that works. Um, and we'll submit, the, you know, we'll submit the, the firm panel at the same time as any future submission rather than doing piecemeal submissions. Yes, exactly. All right, great. So then let me just see. Um, there are a lot of people in the waiting room. If anyone would like to speak on this um, Equinox 2001BZ. Right, and Equinox Jim, please raise your Zoom hand. Everyone in the room is a Zoom call, a Zoom caller. Okay, then no hands are up. So I'd like to make a motion to close. Chair Perlmutter? Aye. Vice Chair Chanda? Aye. Commissioner Otley Brown? Aye. Commissioner Chetta? Aye. Commissioner Shabetta? Aye. Okay, thank you very much. Great, thank you. Item number 28, 2019-38BZ, 222-3496th Avenue, Queens. This is also a PCE. Is this Fayan? Uh, I think it was Frank. Frank is the one who made the submission. Okay, so it's Frank. He's here. Yeah, yeah. He's in. Go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Let me fill you in, Frank. Uh, just really quick, Tony, I should be joined by Lyndon Brown and Jamal Verna if they're um, calling in as well. I don't know if you want to swear them in at the same time. Yes. Yeah. I just, someone, here he is. Lyndon Brown is in and else? Jamal. I don't see Jamal. Can we move without him, uh, Frank? That's fine. I, I think Lyndon uh, can be able to respond for him as well. Okay, let me sway you in. Do you, do, do you affirm, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in your testimony before this board to respond honestly to broad member questions? I do. Please state your name again for the record and proceed. My name is Frank Noriega, here from Sheldon Lobel PC on behalf of the applicant. Uh, and I just wanted... Uh, to start by saying, uh, we listened to the, the review session and the comments and it sounds like there aren't too many. Um, I just wanted to point out that the, there was a tenant posting in the building and that should have been submitted with the, the mailing proof on April 7th. Uh, there is an affidavit and photos of the posting that was put in the lobby of the building. Uh, and then the other question uh, really uh, had to do with the DOB violation and the DOB violation, if you look at the violation that was provided, it is the Biz website just has a blank page. There's no information there. Uh, so we uh, took it upon ourselves to do a little extra research and found that there was a complaint which cross-referenced that same violation number. 
uh, and it happened to reference uh, a violation against the owner for mechanical work on site. Uh, and, and we believe that that's been taken care of, but we can address the, the violation, making sure it's actually closed out uh, as part of this application. And uh, if Lyndon is on, maybe he can uh, talk to that briefly. Lyndon, I think if you're on, you're muted. I'm muted now. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the violation was situ was um, was given in due to the fact that the duct work, there was actually duct work that was filed under application number 4218947. Actually, no, not that one. It was filed when they did um, 4206175 by Parado. The, the Parado was the, the applicant. They did direct replacement of the HVAC unit and the inspector came in and saw that the duct work was extended more than uh, that was on the plans. So they did an amendment immediately right after and a letter of completion was issued on the job after an inspection and was signed off. The violation in question is a department of building violation, not an ECB or, or an oath. So they're in the process, we're in the process of rectifying that violation. Okay, but okay, but so rectifying the violation in the sense that about the length of the ductwork not complying with the drawings, is that it? Yeah, the drawing has been, has been actually that has been amended according to, I believe that Frank had submitted an AI-1 mm -hmm. stating that amendment was done according to the as-built plans and it has been signed off as of April 30th, 2020. And the letter of completion was actually, you have the letter of completion in your possession. We do. We have a letter of we have a letter of completion for that ductwork to, yes. to satisfy that violation. You have to satisfy the application for the for the HVAC unit. Okay, Mr. Noriega, can you make sure that we have everything that sort of just closes out that violation? Sure. Well. Sorry to cut you off, but yes, uh, you should have the, the four documents we just uh, spoke of, the uh, initial, the, the printout of the violation page, uh, the, the complaint that kind of connects it and it explains that it's for the mechanical, the AI-1, which shows that the, the plans were submitted a few days after the violation and then the, the letter of completion are all there. Uh, it doesn't close out the violation, that's something that has to be done, but it, it's more of an administrative issue that we need to take care of. Uh, but the work itself and the plans have been submitted. Okay. What, what would it take to actually close out the violation? Like, why is it still showing up? Uh, uh, to be honest, I don't think we realized this was an issue until the question was raised Wednesday and we'd started doing a little digging uh, as uh, to what this violation was for. Um, okay. But uh, Lyndon, I think you can probably respond to that, uh, what it's going to take to close this out. Well, we have to, we'll have to submit... Um, some paperwork to the DOB from from the owner and with, along with a letter of completion and and talk to the chief so they can remove the violation. Okay, so can you do that, please? Just get it rolling. You know, yes, why, yeah. why do you want to see a violation on your on the screen? The answer should be zero 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 everywhere you look, right? It's just nice. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. All right. Anything else? I think that's it. It appears that uh, those were the only two items that were addressed or questioned yeah, by the board. I think so. All right, let's go to the public. Thank you. Let's go to the public. The application, 
The application we are currently discussing is item number 28, 2019-38BC, 222-34, 96th Avenue, Queens. This is a core bar fill fit gym. And if you wish to call in, it is 646-558-8656. The webinar ID number is 983-2660-8679. The passcode is 953-309. And if you are calling in, please press star nine to raise your hand and star six to unmute to speak. And if you're in the Zoom room already, please raise your Zoom hand for this application, which is 201938 BC for 96th Avenue, Jim. Okay, so let's just see anybody with their hands up. There's somebody who called in with a phone number, last digits 314, if you would like to speak on this 222-34, um, uh, 96th Avenue, Queens, um, gym application, please raise your Zoom hand. And for a caller, dial star nine to raise your hand. Okay, so... Um, Anyway, just submit the paperwork. I mean, if you have the paperwork to submit to DOB, submit us a copy of what you submitted. Um, but otherwise, uh, if, after we wait to see if anyone wants to speak on this, we can close this. Um, and yeah, okay. So nobody, nobody's raised their hand. So, okay, can you do that? Um, submit the paperwork to DOB with the letter of completion and send us a copy of what you submitted? Yes. Okay, great. So how much time do you actually need to do that? That's a good question. We could submit it probably by next week, but the Department of Buildings, since everybody, a lot of them are working from home, it's a little uh, questionable on the length of time they'll take. No, we'll wait a minute, just for you to submit, I, I'm not waiting for DOB to do their thing. You just oh, you submit that. Probably next week. Early okay. next week. All right. So what I'm going to say is just say arguably two weeks to submit to us. That's yeah. All right. Um, and uh, I'm going to, we'll, we'll close the hearing. Okay. All right. So for a motion to close. Chair Perlmutter. Aye. Vice Chair Chanda. Aye. Commissioner Hartley Brown. Aye. Commissioner Sheva. Aye. Commissioner Chibetta. Aye. Okay. Great. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Next item, item number 29, 2019-294-BC, 241-243 Throop Avenue, Brooklyn. Alexia Lansman and is Marvin also participating? Yes, I think we have a few. We have Marvin, we have Barbara Cohen who's joining and we also have um, Michael Gattaletta who's the architect. Okay. There's Michael. I don't see Barbara though. Barbara just joined. Okay. Barbara's here. And I believe Marvin. Okay. Yeah, Marvin's here. Okay, good. All right. Okay, let's say you in. Do you raise your right hands? Do you affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in your testimony before this board and to respond 
Honesty to board member questions. Yes. Yes. Okay, please state your name for the record and proceed. Um, Alexia Landisman. Who's, who's speaking? Marvin, you're muted. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, Good. there ahead, we go. Marvin. Okay, now I have to remember who I am. Okay, you just read it. It says on the screen who you are. Okay, let me get my glasses out then. Okay. Uh, so I, I heard the comments at the review session. This is an application to allow us a small lot, 25 by 41 and a half, to, to uh, be developed, ground floor retail, and um, upper floors, five, five units of residential. <clears throat> um, under, the, under the zoning of the site, which is R7D, and with a C2-4 overlay, um, the height of the building can go up to, in this case, 70 feet, but under the underlying district, it can go up to 100 feet. Uh, the height of the building we're proposing is 70 feet, so we certainly meet that requirement. We're asking for additional FAR based upon the uniqueness of the site and uh, the development uh, concerns that would uh, allow us to only generate a reasonable return for a larger building. Um, just, to, just to delve into the comments by the board, <laughs> I think the, the predicate comment was about what the nature of this site is. It's a small site, it's certainly substandard, uh, but how did it become substandard? Now the board, I, I think the chair, you indicated that there's a 1973 apportionment. Uh, it's something we have to delve into deeper because what we found <clears throat> was a, a tax map that shows the two separate lots uh, uh, back to 1961. Now, what we need to do in order to resolve this issue is delve more further, more, more closely into that uh, tax designation and into the records to determine what happened and when it happened. So we will certainly engage in that effort. And at the end of that effort, we'll know for certain, and at least to our satisfaction, whether these lots were two lots, one lot, and when they became two lots, if they did. Uh, okay, but so just to um, remind that even if, and I'm not, sh I'm not sure that really makes sense because we watched an apportionment in 1971 or 73 or something where 71, 71 where lot, I guess, eight was divided into lot eight and six. So up until that time, there was only lot eight in existence. Otherwise, the map wouldn't show in a new in new red pencil lot six. That's the first part of it. Um, and the second part is even if it had been two tax lots, the, the standard is if they're held in common ownership and then one lot is sold away, then that's the same create self-creation of the hardship um, unless there's some kind of, and we have had some cases where um, even that wouldn't have mattered as to the variance because let's just say there are two separate buildings that could never have been, or I'll say it's a building in a, the most common one is it's a residential building in a manufacturing district that couldn't have been enlarged as a residential building onto the adjoining lot. So that creates arguably a hardship situation. So um, maybe that, uh, let's say, compensates for the fact that they were sold away separately. Um, but in this case also, the deed, I seem to remember finding 
the pre-71, I think it was sold in 73, maybe. The preset, if Dara, do you remember which is um, the sales? Yeah, book? I have it right here. Um, they were loaned, owned by Warshell Realty and sold in 1971 to two different entities. Okay. So, right. So what ends, because there was a comment in your statement of facts that said you only found a deed dating to 1971. That's for me always this very charming thing to say. It sounds as if no one owns it before. Obviously the land was owned before and the way you create separate lots is you sell off one and you hold, retain the other. So um, that's actually what ended up happening. So, um, so yeah, so this is a problem that it was all held under one deed um, and it wasn't lot six and eight. It was apparently one lot and then apportioned and sold off like that. So it's, it's a pretty tall hurdle based on our own research. And, and this is just research available on ACRIS, right? If you want to go deeper, you would need to get a title search that goes deeper. Oh, that, that's exactly the point is you like to go deeper and just verify what the status of these lots right. were yes. at the appropriate time. Yeah. Um, now you also you also mentioned um, that the the site itself is a pre-existing zoning lot that's substandard and therefore can be used for residential. Is that do I understand your statement correctly? So had this little site not as had this little site been a pre-existing a pre sixty one zoning lot. Mm -hmm. The zoning resolution says that substandard lots can be developed as of right with a one or two family dwelling, irrespective of lot, lot size, lot dimensions. And then there's other provisions that often even give you a break on yards and things like that, which don't really apply in this case, not lot coverage as far as I remember. But, um, but that's, the, that's the first problem is if this was subdivided after 1961, which it appears that it was, you wouldn't qualify as a pre-61 zoning lot. So then now you're looking at the 25 by 100 lot being a pre-61 zoning lot. Um, and what could have built, been built as of right on that pre-61 zoning lot? And does it suffer from the same difficulties as are complained of here mm -hmm. but before you get there as commissioner Ali brown said you would have to show that that pre-60 that pre-61 25 by 100 lot um is unique mm -hmm. right currently is unique right okay containing an existing building and a vacant portion correct okay All right well, that's correct. I mean, as as a the the, the whole notion of, of the grandfathering of the substandard lot relates to use. Um, it's not really the lot that's substandard; it's the use on that lot that, that makes it substandard, because residential development other than one or two family houses is not permitted in a lot that's substandard, and that's not a grandfathering condition. So I I, I understand that. All right. Um, so we've looked at so as 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 I think was mentioned during review session, the 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 building at at seventy feet uh, 
is certainly consistent with some of the buildings in the area, which are either taller or as tall. And, and so the height of the building should not be of concern or should not establish a change in the character of the neighborhood under finding C. Um, and, and we'll certainly elaborate on that. Uh, in terms of, of the B finding, I know that Commissioner Otley Brown had, had some concerns about it and some questions about it, particularly the construction costs. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Barbara Cohen is on, the, is on the phone, hopefully, or mm -hmm. in Zoom. Yes, she is. Yes, I'm here. So she can comment on that. Barbara, if you will. Yes, sure. Um, uh, so yeah, there's obviously a, a bit of research and so on to occur and then to figure out what the as of rights are and so on. Um, uh, and also to evaluate the building and, and determine that we are moving forward with the idea of, of a site value representing um, a, a vacant parcel versus the, the existing building. Um, the other thing, and I, I was trying to follow the references to a $2 million as of right new building and, um, uh, and, and, you know, also references to it's, uh, 400 and something square feet, uh, a dollar a square foot. Uh, the as of right, the new building was costed at a million eighty-three thousand, um, and the price per square foot was three fifty-two, and the the proposed was two point eight. Um, Can I add something? Did you include the hard and soft costs? Because I did hard costs, soft costs, FFE. Oh no, I'm talking base construction costs, which is sort of how how we you begin, right? And then and then obviously the the soft costs are influenced by construction costs and other development costs. Um, right, so no, when, understood. When, I understand yeah. that, but okay. the fact of the matter is, is that Marshall and Swift, and we've had this conversation before, includes hard costs and most of the soft costs that you're claiming. And so as a reference point, your costs, when I add them together, are coming out mm -hmm. too high. Right. And they're driving the ass. So you may have a cost estimator that you're using, but that cost estimator still has to, at the end of the day, when you do an analysis, be grounded in industry standards. Right. And, and your, I, your person is not grounded in industry standards. No, and Just I think, I, right, I, I was going to say that um, uh, one of the things, if we get this this far, is is obviously to, to go back and give an opportunity to the cost estimator to review their assumptions and and um, uh, to be able to really speak to um, the the you know base construction costs and what some of those assumptions were, um, uh, the Marshall and Swift thing I know has has been a big topic of conversation and in, in, in years past we did that and then, and uh, with the change in in this chair where we went to the cost estimating because it was said to be more accurate which I think it is because it really does reflect, you know, the, the real world out there. Um, uh, so, and we've actually had some of these discussions on other projects and uh, the Marshall and Swift is not actually the most reliable uh, in terms of what people use um, uh, out there. But 
we can, right. we can it's always- a way to, It's a way to ground costs in some semblance of reality because the bottom line is as we go year by year, these costs are getting astronomical. They're getting, there's a, a divergence in the path between industry standards, even with locational adjustments for New York City and what cost estimators are coming up with for relatively simple sites. We're talking about sites that are unencumbered by subsurface conditions, and, and yet it's $450 a square foot and upwards. So being that the board has seen this, and it really is extremely time consuming to go line by line to find out where the fat is in your construction cost estimators numbers, grounded in Marshall and Swift. Unfortunately, because the use of a cost estimator has been abused over time, we're going to pull back as the board because it's getting kind of ridiculous. Well, I do think, I, th I think it, it is worth providing an opportunity for that cost estimator to defend what, you know, what their numbers are. And look, even in Marshall and Swift, you choose the quality of the building, right? You choose an A building, a B building, you know, you make some choices. And I think uh, it's important to give them the opportunity to say, oh, well, I assumed a steel building or I assumed, you know, a, 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 you know, a wood building. Um, so yes, I think yes, it's worth can, that. And you could, you could do that in Marshall and Swift and you could choose the class A building that you want to build. And then in your narrative, you'll justify why you chose class A versus class B versus class right. C. No, I, 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 I'm totally in agreement. I'm just, I'm just saying that the opportunity to have a cost estimator, you know, spell some of that out may in fact reveal why, why the numbers are, are the way they are. That's all. But I do think, you know, certainly on, on difficult buildings um, that aren't so generic and certainly on, on specialty renovations and so on, I think, um, you know, Marshall and Swift is somewhat useless and having, and having um, a, a construction professional do it, I think is, is, is very useful because- um, Yeah, but I, I, believe, I believe having, having a construction professional do it all the time now leads to like significantly exaggerated cost. And I believe the administrative notice that we issued more than a year and a half ago, give the option to you people to just consider something simplified like the RS means or Marshall and Swift. And every right. time you elect, you elect to go to with a detailed construction cost, we see that the cost at least is 50 times higher than what it should. Well, what I think what would be useful for certainly for me going forward is to be able to 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 speak in detail as best I can to the cost estimated to really vet some of those numbers to understand their assumptions. That's all. And then, yes, I think then to put it in context with with some of those other uh, cost manuals and 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 uh, um, and go forward with that. I, I just want to add that, you know, I do, I'm the one who like started this with having professional cost estimators because when I was in the business, right, we used right. cost estimators, right? And then the Marshall and Swift in particular felt to me that it was much more of a kind of suburban or not New York City-based analytical method, even though they always added a percentage. However, I do know that the, the, the estimators were more often using the means data information or other data sources 
to figure out like how much does sheetrock cost this month, right? And right. so what what we get though when we see these cost estimates is um, we have no idea where these numbers are coming from. And if instead it was coming from some sort of standardized source to be able to check against, that that's different. But it's kind of like you read one cost estimator and for this exact same building, he says he can build it for a million dollars. It's a seven story building. And the, the person says he can build it for a, a million dollars. And I'm like, cool, like I wanna work with that contractor. And then another one tells you that it's, seven million dollars or something like that so and and it can't be that one is using lapis lazuli and then the other one is using you know whatever like formica it can't be that that's the distinction um it's only it's a little bit of a building how could there be that much of a range of costs you're still getting the lumber from the same lumber yard more or less in new york city so that's why it's so confusing why we see such range. And then, then the other reality is when you bid a job, you bid it to five contractors and there's the low, absolutely ridiculous bidder who you don't even consider because there's no way they're not going to end up walking off the job. And then there's the high bidder who doesn't want the work and overbids <laughs> because they really wish you would go away and why do you even call them? And so you somebody that's kind of in the middle that seems reasonable. So at least your project gets finished, right? So we're never sure whether we're getting that high bidder who really doesn't want the job or the low bidder who really has no business doing this kind of work. <laughs> no, I, I, look, that, I fully, fully understand. I fully understand. And I, I, all I'm saying is that you know, look, I, I only know what I know in terms of construction and it's not too much, but, um, uh, and very often I do, you know, sort of ask, you know, kind of give it to me in, in plain English, um, you know, why this, why that? And I, and I try to compare to, to understand. Um, uh, and, and it's something I think is worth doing more of uh, so that there is a, 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 you know, a reference and a source and a, you know, uh, allowing them to 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 defend uh, some of the assumptions. Anyway, um, can you can you please before you proceed? Can you still provide us with a cost per square foot based on your construction cost estimate, in addition to Marshall and Swift? And if the deviation is more than than ten percent. We would like to know how through explanation from your side. And that's, that's, that's fair. That's, that's fair. I'd like, to add, to I'd like to add to that. One of the reasons that I think we're having this trouble, not on just on this application, on so many, is that rather than doing what I'm used to doing from back in the day when I did this work is... I would talk to tell my clients, so you, here's a project and a project of this type usually costs, you should just figure in terms of your, your budget, usually costs $250 a square foot to do something like this, right? And then we start working and then the client realizes that they really can't afford a project that's $250 a square foot. 
So um, we need to bring the project down. In fact, we saw that on a project we discussed yesterday, the cost estimate is too high. They have to bring the cost of the project down by effectively eliminating the seller, right? As an example, right? But what's happening in, in the way that these are done is first you're doing the line by line estimate then you're taking the total, the gross floor area and dividing that into the number or the other way around. And, um, and you're coming up with the square footage cost, which comes out like $450 a square foot for a little bit of a nothing. So that's, the, that's where there's a disconnect between what essentially you tell your client to anticipate and um, what you're sort of designing to and what's happening when you do these line by line cost estimates that appear disconnected from the reality of the construction world, because you know no one would but build a one story box or a two story box with a staircase for $450 a square foot, you'd be crazy, right? Nobody ever would, even if it no, was- they, I would say they are not gonna build it for 450. I would say they gonna submit to us the 450 and this is the goal, that's all. It's not right. going to be built for 450. Right. But so, but that's why it looks so, it, does, it looks irrational. And I think that's the problem. You should not be backing into the number. The number should be what you're using as a check, which is what I think Commissioner Ali Brown has been talking about all along. You should have in mind that the industry expectation for buildings of this typology is X dollars a square foot total. And then you break it line by line if needed in order to support the hardship aspect of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Chair, please, I just, I just wanna say something. I did mention through the executive session that the cost for the as of right was 650. I was wrong. I divided by the zoning floor area. Actually, if you take the seller into account, the total floor area would be on the order of 6,000 square feet. And that would bring the Post per square foot to about 450, like Commissioner Brown mentioned. So she was right, I was wrong. Thank you. Good, thank you. Okay, let's anything further? We have some big holes oh. to overcome. And I just want to go back to the neighborhood character thing. Sure. It's true that you've got across the street this very large development, which is what um, Vice Chair Shonda was talking about, a really large development across the street but take a walk around the rest of the neighborhood. Everything is in the sort of three to five, not even five story. They're like tenement buildings that are four to five stories. And then they're the kind of little town, little sort of brownstony buildings that are two to three stories. That's the character of this neighborhood. So what you're talking about, let's just say you can overcome all of these other issues. What you're talking about is a building that is completely out of context with the surrounding fabric. And it's not at all like that massive building across the street. And that's the next thing. And the other part of that that I wanna say is the board always looks at this standard. Let's say you prove you have a hardship. You should therefore be made equal to your neighbors, not better than your neighbors. If your neighbors are three stories or four stories, whatever, is the case here, that's all. It's not like you get twice what your neighbors get just cause. You get what your neighbors have so that you're put on an equal fo footing that you're no longer disadvantaged. 
you're in the same position as they are. So that keep that in mind for the scope of the waiver, assuming you can get past the hardship question. But it's also, it's also Chair, fair to say that the zoning itself establishes the character of the neighborhood as far as, as far as a variance application is concerned. Okay, and in this case, uh, the height of the building at 70 feet is lower than the zoning would permit. So it's hard, I'm hard pressed to say or conclude that this is out of character. But apart, I, it's not just, and it's not just the one building that we're talking about. I think we've listed more than one. There's four or five buildings uh, right across the street nearby that are nine stories, seven stories, 12 stories, and 16 stories. So, so, the, so I, the question, I, the question I, then I'm becomes- Can I jump in? Well, let him finish his sentence. The question becomes whether our creating a seven story building of this nature in this location really would effectuate a change in the character of the neighborhood. And I'd be hard pressed to come to that conclusion. Um, yeah, go ahead, uh, Vice Chair Shonda. Okay, thank you. So if you look at the zoning map, the zoning map along the frontage of Myrtle Avenue is zoned for R7D. Now the block frontage uh, of uh, Myrtle Avenue, uh, pretty much, the entire length of it, except for the new construction that has been built along at the corner of uh, Myrtle and Throop, all of these are old tenement buildings that are five stories, three stories, as Madam Chair mentioned, four stories. So definitely R7D, yes, allows by textbook, zoning textbook, it allows 70 feet, but the build character is not 70 feet. So the so zoning has been prescribed but the built character is not the is not in its form it's not in its density it may be and that's probably why r7d was exercised because it met the far closest to r7d but not necessarily the built form so there are two things we're conflating it and and i i would be hard pressed to say that the neighborhood character here, therefore, should be 70, store, uh, 70 feet just because it's zoned R7D. And please, um, the, the, the block is between divided between R7D and R6A. And this, this site is abutting, straddling that corner, that edge. So, you know, yes, R7D is allowed, but the built context is a combination of what is not looking like an R70, it's more like an R6. And we are trying to do an forcing an R7D building look alike. I have a difficulty accepting that. And I just want to add to that very important point. When you look at the commercial, you look at the R7T district boundary line, and you look at the typical everywhere, typical tax lot slash zoning lot, that fronts along Myrtle Avenue, every single one of those zoning lots or tax lots is a full hundred foot deep to the prop to the district boundary line. So it assumes the development of a building that is, um, let's say, fifty feet deep, or whatever that is, not fifty feet, seventy feet deep. Um, and in, in a lot of cases, we're seeing a collection of all of these little tiny buildings, right? Because the sliver law still applies, right? In these contexts. Um, 
So, but in this case that's being proposed, this is an abnormal condition where it's been severed from its hundred foot deep lot. And what you're talking about is an abnormal sliver building that doesn't look like anything in the neighborhood. And so, yes, I think that would uh, affect neighborhood character, which is not the only aspect of the finding, right? So it, it would be a very abnormal condition, but in addition to which we go back to the minimum variance, right? And the minimum variance is to make you not better than your neighbors, at least as good as them, but not better than them. And your neighbors are these three, four story buildings. So we don't need to belabor this, but that's where- No, but there are a number of factors involved in getting to a reasonable return, uh, which includes density, height, and other factors, which we'll all take into account when we come back to the board with, a, with our next presentation. Okay. 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 Now, the fire department, you did mention the fire department um, letter. We have modified our plans. Sorry. We have modified our plans to uh, include a gate at the roof, which would satisfy the fire department's concern. So I think uh, that issue should go away. Okay. Uh, we have a lot to deal with before we yeah. get close. Understood. Understood. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, anything else you wanted to add? Any other comments from commissioners? Uh, no, we'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a closer look at what the options are here. I would, I would, uh, I would point out that uh, we would look at an as of right development, but I don't, know, I don't believe that that as of right development would include any residential component. Uh, well, it won't now because it's a subdivided zoning lot that no longer does not qualify for a pre-existing small zoning lot because it's not it didn't exist pre-61. Right. Um, right. So assuming both, you know, Commissioner Ollie Brown discovered this first and then I went on my own as if I hadn't been told and I discovered it also. So two independent researchers discover the lot has been apportioned. And um, I'd be very surprised for to find that the lot hasn't been apportioned after two very experienced researchers discovered this. So what you're dealing with is not this little lot. You're dealing with proving to the board that had the lot not been subdivided, it would have been unique in its current state, in some version of argument of its current state, and that it would have needed the same waivers um, that are being asked for because the hardship is the same thing as the current hardship complained of. Right, okay. but, but understood. And, and uh, I'm, I'm sure the, you, you and, and Commissioner Brown did a wonderful job in, in, in investigating the status of the lot. Uh, I'll take that opportunity, but presuming that's correct, and I do assume it's correct, um, the question is, Using the entire lot, both six and eight, as your site, uh, pre-subdivision, as the pre-1961 as, as pre site, still it would not, an as-of-right development of that site would not include a residential development other than a single-family home. No, a two-family is permitted here. Two-family, I'm sorry, single and two-family. So it could actually, it actually be a very cool two-family home. So what you could have is, for argument's sake, 
You could have ground floor commercial permitted as of right because you're in a C district, right? And um, and you could have a two F, you could have up to whatever it is, four point something FAR, even without the inclusionary housing. So you get all the way, and with inclusionary, you get up to five point something with a two family home, which could be two fabulous duplexes, which by the way, in exactly that layout, I've seen on that size lot, I've seen on Park Avenue in Manhattan. So exactly that lot with a, a little mini tower that um, has duplex units and even triplex units with that floor plate. So, um, so yeah, you could develop residential on that lot. You wouldn't get as much floor area, but the question is whether you could comply with lot coverage regulations. I don't know. And, um, and, and so on. So those are the things you would need to look at. I'm not, this is not an easy variance application. And I really recommend that you reach out to your project manager and also um, talk to uh, our executive director about this for a little help and advice about um, what uh, other cases we have that successfully argued a situation similar to this. We don't have any that are identical to this, okay? Understood. Okay, great. So I'd like to go to the public then. Go ahead, Tony. Sure, the case that we're currently discussing is 2019-294-BZ, 241-243 Throop Avenue, Brooklyn. If you wish to call in, it is 646-558-8656. The webinar ID number is 983-2660-8679. And the passcode should you need it is 953-309. If you are calling in, please press star nine to raise your hand and star six to unmute for you to speak. If you are in the Zoom room already, please raise your Zoom hand to speak. Okay, we actually have a Zoom hander, uh, Ms. Wright, please. Uh, unmute yourself and turn off your YouTube video in case it's on. <clears throat> and state when you can hear us. Cheryl Wright? Yes. Yes, go ahead. You can speak now. State your name, please. Cheryl Wright. Okay, okay. you'll have three minutes to speak. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. I was calling because I am right around the corner from the area that we are speaking of at this time. And I am very concerned for several reasons. One is that this is a more like a community of families and a lot of the buildings are brownstones. The taller buildings that are across on Myrtle Avenue are NYCHA developments. And we have this enormous structure going up now on the corner of Myrtle and Truth and congestion is very bad. And my concern is the overcrowdedness for this area. Also, there are other things that are needed in this community instead of another development to form a um, additional situation. And so the property that you're talking about used to be a law office of Jacob and Rubenstein. And in that space for 241 and 243, they had their offices and it was actually just one space. 
where they saw their clients and other space for, for their business for office. So at this point, I think it was very critical when you had stated to walk the neighborhood, because if you come around and see the community, you may understand better that the building that you're intending that you would like to construct on this property would not, it's not being friendly to the neighbors that are actually already here. And I'm just concerned about that, having lived here so many years to be able to still remember that the law office was, was Jacob and Rubenstein. So if there's anything else that I can do, I'm going to stay in constant contact so that I can know what's going on and also attend my community board three meetings. And thank you for the time. Thank you so much for your testimony. And I saw that you had called in this morning. So I'm sorry that you've been waiting so long to be heard. We really do appreciate your testimony. It's worth it, especially I've learned a lot also about how this is done. So as also being a real estate agent, I'm more than interested in what's going on and how communities are starting to kind of fall apart because of these massive buildings that the developers and designers and construction workers put up and don't live here. That's, that's the part that don't, you don't understand. How would it be if it was your neighborhood? Right, thank you so much, appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Okay, um, I don't see anyone else's hand up. There are two phone numbers again, um, who, people who called in. If you would like to speak on this application on Throop Avenue, oops. It's 2019-294-BZ. 241, 243 Thrupe Avenue, Brooklyn. Right, and so please, those two people can raise their Zoom hands, those people who just called in, um, by raising, uh, by star nine on your telephone. So if you would like to speak, please um, raise your hand. There we go, somebody raised their hand. So we're allowing the person with telephone, last three digits, 901 to speak. Um, please state your name when you can hear us and turn off your YouTube video, please. In star six to unmute. Hi, please. Yes, oh, hello. Uh, how's everybody doing? My name is Mosad Al Jahmi. I'm uh, I'm one of the shareholders on this property. You know, um, um, and uh, you know, uh, it's, I don't know nothing about this. I'm new, first generation. This is a first building I ever did in my life. I've been in this neighborhood for eight years now. We have a pharmacy, MG Pharmacy. I'm a pharmacist. And we've seen this neighborhood come from nowhere and just building, rising all over, everywhere. And we wanted to be part of the community, not against the community, 100%. You know, we were excited to work. We know so many people in this neighborhood. And I think I know that lady that called. Um, and, you know, we're not here to mess, try to undevelop anything or try to be out of the picture. We wanted to be part of the picture, especially after we saw that big building in front of us getting built and other buildings, even smaller lot sizes. I was shocked to see smaller lot sizes being built. And that's what initiated this issue. Not to, we're not, we're not big people here, me and my partner. We are small, first generation, in this country and just trying to be part of the community not against the community 
And I was just hurt to see that we're not big developers, not at all. We are nothing, nothing, you know, very small, very small. And from hearing this, I'm just thinking about my loss, you know, how much I put to the lawyer. So my end question is, can, if, any, if nothing can be done, please, I would love to hear it now. And, and I'll just walk away because this is how I'm feeling right now. Okay. Can, um, because it was hard to hear, can you spell your last name, please? Yeah, A L J A H M I. H M I. V L J. No, A as in Apple, L as in Larry, J as in Jack, A H M I. M I. Al Jami. Right? Yes, correct. Okay. Yes. Um, okay, thank you very much. Um, so we've been discussing with your counsel. Um, how this application might be able to be uh, fixed to make it be able to go forward. What I would recommend is that you and your counsel um, call into our executive director to have a discussion about that because it's very technical, okay? Um, and, and from there, you'll be able to decide whether it's something that you can um, should go forward, okay? At this point, we're still in the research world, but I do want to caution you that in spite of the statement by your account, your lawyer, um, it's unlikely that you would get the six-story building that you're talking about, what we would be talking about if you could overcome the difficulties that we described at the beginning. We're talking about a building that's more in the size of your neighbors, okay? So just just to let you know about that, okay? All right, so then that's a business decision for you to make, um, et cetera, okay? I appreciate you calling in. Uh, apologies that I couldn't spell your name correctly. Um, yeah, that's right. Okay. It's a hard name. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, thank you very much. Um, I, I don't see any other hands up. There's one more phone number, 314. If you wanna speak, you have to dial star nine on your phone. Otherwise, Mr. Mitzner, how much time to respond to this? We're gonna need about a month. Only a month? Oh, we work fast. Yeah, but you may work fast, but we need a really good submission as opposed to- All right, let's make it six weeks. Okay. Okay. All right. And Carlo, I, I don't know if Carlo is actually able to be listening. I know he's on a lot of phone calls. Carlo, are you on the phone? On the call? Okay. We'll, we'll speak to him. Yes, I'm here. You're there. Okay. So um, Mr. Mitzner and Mr. Aljami um, should be giving you a call to discuss sort of the details of how to put this application together and a mo and some models, okay? Okay, thank you. And with Daryl, by the way, Daryl, of course, you should be on that call. Okay. All right, thank you very much for calling in everyone. Mr. Aljami, thank you very much for participating and Ms. Wright for calling in as a member of the public. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right, next one. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
Okay, the next item is item number 30, 2020, 18BZ, 920 Shore Boulevard, Brooklyn. Good afternoon. This is Todd Dale. I'm actually appearing of counsel for this application. Okay. Anyone else, Todd? I believe oh, Elise. Elise Fuladere from the Air Platinum Office is also here. Okay. Um, let me sway you in. Do you affirm, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in your testimony before this board and to respond honestly to board member questions? I do affirm. Okay, please proceed. Hi, good afternoon. So uh, we, I did listen to the review session. Just to clarify, um, you know, our office is appearing of counsel. Um, we've recently been uh, become involved with this application. However, I have reviewed the full record. I've reviewed the hearings, um, both the review session and the hearing. Um, uh, for this particular application. Um, I would open by saying that I believe to echo what the chair very clearly and accurately stated, this is an application for re-argument. Um, we're not seeking a decision on the special permit application pursuant to 73622. We're also not assuming that should this uh, rehearing uh, argument application be granted that there would be a future grant pursuant to 73622. We are really here to, however, assert that the record for this application should be complete and it should include a review of all pertinent facts and standard of laws upon which a decision um, could be made and reviewed by all parties. Um, we also, just as an aside, I'm not seeking to review or dispute the administrative or development history of the site. We're really trying to focus on this particular application and the question that's before the board. So could you tell us in what, um, what pertinent facts or, or laws this board failed to consider that we haven't already discussed? I would make it uh, three primary points, okay? The first is, is uh, in the resolution for this application, it references that there was a complete demolition of the structure at the site, and that is inaccurate. The demolition was not complete. Uh, as stated, the resolution erroneously and accurately uh, reads that it is complete. There were portions of the prior residence in place. I would note that the photographs that were reviewed were not taken from all angles, and there were portions of walls in the foundation that were in place. I also believe it's important to note that demolition is not defined in the zoning resolution. It is, however, defined in the building code. And the building code notes that full demolition requires that all portions of the structure are removed, every single portion. If anything less than full demolition occurs, it is a partial demolition. And in this instance, this was a partial demolition. And corresponding to that fact, is the fact that the Department of Buildings is allowing construction to proceed at this site pursuant to an alteration application. If in fact this were a complete demolition, it would have necessitated a new building application. So could you explain the relevance of this? Because the board found that, so I think the confusion is this. The subject of the demolition had to do with the revocation of the special permit. When we revoked the special permit, it's because we discovered that, without being told by the owner or anybody else, we discovered on our own 
that more than the required amounts of exterior walls and joists that were shown on the drawings had been removed. And the terms of the grant were that they could not be removed or it would void the special permit. The use of the concept of demolition was that we saw everything we could see was new. So, it, but it doesn't really matter because there was a representation that more than a representation, there was a commitment that 100% of the foundations and 63% or something like that of the, the walls would be retained and they weren't. So the board revoked the special permit. That's the subject of the word demolition. What the board looked at it, so the demolition was irrelevant to the, the determination that no special new special permit could be issued because there was no completed building up at the time of the application. We have to look at an existing building. If you read the resolution and if you listen to the testimony of the board, the board said, you've got a shell of a building up and we can't make a determination on a shell of a building because this special permit is for an existing building and there was no existing building. So, you know, the to quote one of the uh, cases, uh, Gordon v. Brown, there is only a limited right to cross-examine adverse witnesses or arguably to look at additional testimony um, when there's a, when the, what is it? When, sorry, just lost that. When one of the issues is dispositive, the issue for the board that was dispositive was the fact that the building didn't exist. It was a shell. And that's what the board made its determination on. It has nothing to do with the demolition. It doesn't matter how much was demolished with respect to that special permit, what to the new special permit application, which is the subject of this re-argument request. The demolition discussion had to do with the revocation of the special permit. That happened months before, or maybe even a year before. You okay. raised a number of um, really fair and reasonable questions, and I'll seek to respond to okay. them. Um, with respect to the demolition, I would say that it's not two things. First, um, I would say that any discussion of the prior, I'm going to call it the original special permit, really, um, I understand the facts of the site, but I would say it's moot to this new special permit application. We're not disputing that that first special permit was rescinded. Um, through uh, the board's compliance hearing because a specific condition of the original special permit uh, was not met. And that specific condition referred to retention of walls. For this particular special permit, I would say the demolition is relevant. And I'd say, of course it's relevant because that phrase is used in the resolution for this special permit. So you can't separate it from this particular, the second special permit. And I believe that the demolition is relevant because um, and it, this ties a little bit to the second point, we'll get to this. Uh, it goes to the question of whether there is an existing residence. And I would note, um, and this is the second point, and I'll say it now because they go hand in hand, the special permit, the specific language refers to an existing residence. It doesn't refer to an existing building, all right? So I'm gonna continue to use the term existing residence as opposed to building. But I do think that it goes to the question of whether there is an existing residence there because if the demolition was not complete, all right, by the building code definition and by just logical uh, 
review, if it is not a full demolition, there is a portion that's there. So there is something that's still existing. The special permit 7362 sets forth within the specific language, no percentages with respect to what portion of an existing residence must be there. By the specific language of 73622, 1% of an existing residence would be an existing residence, which would qualify as the threshold for the special permit. So now you're bringing up discussion, Mr. Dale. So here's the thing: an an application to re-argue works on existing on facts that were previously submitted and previously presented. This argument was never previously presented. You cannot bring in new new arguments that were not presented previously. You weren't the applicant. We gave the applicant in the revocation hearing plenty of opportunity, tons of opportunity, months of it, to establish that the building had not been demolished. And instead they corroborated our statement and they never appeared at the hearing to defend themselves. And when we had the hearing on this new application, there was no information provided to us to make an argument that somehow or other, which of course, I'm not even gonna get into because we, we should not be considering new information, um, but there was no argument made that there was existing fabric that somehow or other should be const constitute an existing building. So careful, you cannot introduce new, new arguments into a motion to re-argue. It has to be based on your old arguments, whether we considered them. So- sure. and I, I would say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Okay. I would say you're actually making our point and giving grounds to why this re-argument should be allowed pursuant to this application. First, the discussion of demolition under the first special permit is irrelevant to the second application we're bringing here. That record is complete. We're not seeking to reinstate or relitigate that initial special permit. With respect to the second special permit, and you say that this wasn't brought up, you yourself are admitting that there was no opportunity to discuss what are relevant facts, which is- No, 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 no. That's well, not what I, I said. If I could finish. All right, you can finish. You are saying right said. there that this was not discussed. And we would say that there was no opportunity to discuss because that hearing was cut off before an opportunity to discuss it at the hearing or to provide discussion of that in supplemental submissions. So I think that very clearly shows that this relevant issue as to what the state of the demolition is and to what an existing residence can be, were not provided the opportunity and were not reviewed by the board at the, uh, the prior hearing. And therefore this re-argument uh, application should be granted. So there is an opportunity to discuss that. The board may agree or disagree with the presentation of the applicant and the property owner, but the fact is the opportunity to present it has not been allowed. And that's why we're seeking this re-argument. So here's the other part, which we did discuss very thoroughly at the application, at, at not only at the 73622 on this case, but in every other case. If you don't retain 50% of the existing perimeter walls on the perimeter, there's no existing building. So retaining 1% or whatever wouldn't have counted anyway, right? What do you say 50% needs to be? Where does that number come from? 
we that's our that's the the board of standards and appeals standard that it applies to every application if you just listen to the hearing we had a few minutes ago it applies to every application the board standard is 50% of the existing perimeter walls must be retained on the perimeter or you are not retaining the entire uh, adequate amount to it to constitute an existing building. And um, that's why we revoked the special permit because they didn't retain the 50% perimeter walls. They had probably 60. Again, the, the revocation is irrelevant to this particular- No, it's not irrelevant. It shows and our- The 50% <laughs> rule is an arbitrary number that's been determined. And we believe that, that is an inaccurate number because there's no reference to 50% within the specific language of the law. The 50% reference ties to a rescinded 2012 Department of Buildings memo. And I think it's important to note that it is a 2012 rescinded Department of Buildings memo and that the issue of what truly is existing should be examined and the opportunity to examine that was not afforded to the property owner and the applicant in this particular application. Therefore, there should be a re-argument so that issue can be discussed. The board may disagree with that. The board may reaffirm their their choice or their decision as to what's existing. But the fact is the issue has not been discussed and it, it's it's very clear even by what you're saying right now that that opportunity was not afforded. No. So Mr. Property. Dale, now you're bringing up a new argument that was not raised by you, was not raised by anyone at the prior hearing. And what you're proposing to do is litigate a subject that's never been discussed at the prior hearing and you had, what is it, 60 days, 30 days, what is it, Tony, again, to appeal the determination, which was not done. You had plenty of time to appeal that if you wanted to contest our 50% rule, but our 50% rule has been in existence for, I think, five years at the very least, if not longer than that. So there was plenty of time to contest it under that application that you're referring to, but you well, cannot bring up. Sorry, what? Yeah, it should well, have been brought as an Article 78 at the time. You cannot bring up new litigation in in a context of a, a motion to re-argue. Sorry, we're not we're not seeking to bring up. What we're seeking to bring up is that we didn't have the opportunity to argue it because the prior hearing was brief and ended premature. That's okay. the fact. I'm not, I'm not the, the issue here. You yourself are saying you can't bring up this new issue. And we're saying we agree. We were never allowed to bring up that issue. And I think that you, by what you're saying right now, are very clearly showing that there is a strong case to allow a re-argument here. As I said, the board may choose to accept or not accept our argument. That's fine. But what it would do is it would allow for a complete record and it would allow that issue to be reviewed by court um, should that come up. And you also talk about like an Article 78 at that time that we're not doing it. The Article 78, if it had been filed on the original denial of this application, the issue of the 50% could not have been brought up because we were never afforded the opportunity to bring up the 50% issue. So it's a circular argument that you're, you're making. Well, setting aside setting aside the, uh, it seems like the, the, the the use of both, uh, calling it both a rehearing and re-argument, setting aside that, and there are different things. Um, I, I do want to say uh, that 1% of a residence is not a residence. Uh, there was no structure there that, was a, that could be considered a residence. The language in the text says residence. There wasn't a residence there, and that's what the board based its decision on. Yes. 
And I would respectfully ask actually, why I would say it's not actually, a I would say not Mr. Dale, the Lord, please let Ms. Commissioner Shanta speak. We've been letting um, Actually, actually, I would say 99.99% of a residence is not a residence. If the point one that's missing is going to hold the, the authority or the city from issuing a CFO for the building, you cannot call it a residence. You can just call it a building because it's a residence when people are there. Right, residence is a use. When, it, when it's allowed for people to occupy this building. And I just want to further that by saying residence is a use. Yes. Um, this I, place I would is, actually, sorry. I didn't mean hey, to... please let no. him finish. Don't interrupt him, please. I, please, uh, Todd, I, I'd like to hear what your response is then. I would say that a residence use is defined in the zoning resolution includes common spaces, hallways, lobbies, stairways, facilities, recreation areas, storage areas, et cetera. It is not specifically to a dwelling unit. And I would also say the fact that a residence could be existing. I think to that point, the fact that the Department of Buildings is allowing us to proceed as an alteration when only a portion of the prior structure is there goes to the issue of the fact that it can be considered existing if a minimal percentage is there. But I would say the bigger picture here is again, I'm trying to be respectful of, of what you're saying here because we're not trying to relitigate that issue now or decide that issue. What I do think though that this conversation is showing is that there is merit to examining this further and the opportunity was not presented. So therefore, why not grant this application to re-argue this issue and allow the board to more firmly um, make its position or listen to the alternate arguments that could be presented. That I think is the bigger issue here. Is, is now, this, merit, this merits an argument, simply put. And I think it's clear based on what's going on here that it does merit an argument. So, so again, to put, to, to put this to rest really, this was an application for a 73, 622 permit based on um, the, the standards for 73, 622, which require an existing single family residence, which is a use, right? A single family residence, not a residence, a single family residence, right? So you have to look at that whole thing. The board looked at what the photographs showed at, that were given to us by the applicant and concluded based on that information that was provided to us by the applicant that there was on the site no existing single family residence. And that's all the counts. And so to argue these little fine points about 1% and all of that stuff doesn't matter. The, what was dispositive is there was no existing single family residence. And I don't need, think we need to go any further than that. Um, thank you, Kurt. Go ahead. And these drawing guidelines were effective March 1st, 2019, which was about a year before this application was filed. So you certainly had notice of this. And I would say that the board has changed its position often with respect to the interpretations of laws. As everyone here is familiar with, our office has done much with the General City Law 36 and interpretations change and they were revised. And we believe oh. that the existing aspect of the residence was not properly given the opportunity to be argued. And I would also say that granting this application to re-argue would allow the board to more strongly reaffirm 
its position should it choose to keep that position. I would also say, as we pointed out, the resolution says complete demolition when that is um, without dispute in error, the resolution, because there was not a complete demolition. So I don't understand what the board's concern is with granting this re-argument when it's clear we've met the standard that a re-argument is of merit because the opportunity was not presented. There was limited discussion at that hearing. It was cut off um, very promptly. And we just believe that having the opportunity to discuss it would be a benefit to this property owner. It would also be a benefit to the board and future applicants because it would help provide further clarity to the to the issue of what is existing and just what qualifies under the special permit. And I don't understand why the board wouldn't want that clarity. We already Council, have I, clarity. Go ahead, Commissioner Shabetta. Uh, Council, I, 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 I want to say I, I really appreciate your legal arguments. I think they're creative. I, and, and I think you're doing a great job representing your client. I just don't, I, I don't agree with you. And I don't believe that the board, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to speak for the rest of the board, but I, it sound, seems like uh, the other members of the board don't agree with you. Um, I, 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 I'm hearing you. You're repeating your same arguments and 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 advocating for your client. I just, I just think we're at this 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 point now where um, we just disagree. Right. Thank you. Okay. I, I, I understand. I appreciate it, and thank you for that statement. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Shabata. All right. Any remaining comments? Okay. So I don't think this is something that we open to the public, right? This isn't a motion to re-argue, so I don't think it's a, it's open to the public. Okay, any last comments from council, our council commissioners? All right, so then I would like, so what do, how does this work? We close the hearing, right? And then we vote another time. Is that how we work this? Y yes. Yes, okay. So I'd like, to, we've heard um, Mr. Dale's I have to say very apt um, argumentative arguments and um, argumentative approach um, and appreciate it. And I'd like to close the hearing. Chair Perlmutter? Aye. Vice Chair Chanda? Aye. Commissioner Otley Brown? Aye. Commissioner Sheta? Aye. Commissioner Shabetta? Aye. Could you repeat that? I didn't hear you clearly. Idiot. Aye. Thank you. Okay. This is closed. Thank okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Dale. And we'll let you know when the decision date is. Okay. Great. Thank you for your time. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. Okay. The next item is continued hearing item 31, 2020 BZ, 2500 Park Avenue, the Bronx. Good afternoon. I think we're still waiting for. You see, Kevin Williams is in. Who else? Um, Evelyn Hay, right? Correct. And Stephen Grasso. Okay. Okay. They're all in. I'm curious if the board needs a break. 
until you know, we were supposed to get a break and I forgot and no one reminded me. Is everyone all right? To get a DOT sign off within the next couple of minutes. Well, we could, oh, I see. Yes, well, we could take a break if you think you're gonna get a DOT sign off. We can, we can come. At four o'clock, they said they were editing it, but still needed a school safety final review. So they didn't give me a timeline, but I'm hoping. They know the hearing's going on right now. Should we take a 30-minute break? Would people be re willing to do that, commissioners? We're trying to get this closed. That's why I'm... I think coming back at 5 makes sense. I don't know if they'll be working past 5. Right. <laughs> <laughs> why? We do. <laughs> I, we appreciate any consideration in that regard. It's like down to the wire. And we know. Yeah, so... It, with the understanding I, I, that yeah, DOT to... would probably like to stop at five as well. So, okay, Commissioner Otley Brown, are you okay with that? Come back at five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and Commissioner Shonda. Yeah. Okay. And Tony. I'm fine. I'm here. Joe and Steve, who really runs the show. True. Okay. Great. <laughs> okay. All right, We're on a thirty-minute break. Tracy, if you if you can't, then um, forward to us the stuff. Okay. Okay. Tell us Thanks. Okay. Thank you, everybody. See you at five o'clock. Thank you. Okay. Thanks.
Okay, hoping this is enough time. Not sure. We didn't get it yet. No. Here. What should we do? We asked for ETA. Okay, and? Well, we didn't hear back. <laughs> How about an ETA on the ETA? <laughs> um, I think they're all meeting because um, I don't, yeah, I think they're all probably meeting the divisions to discuss it. So see, how about this idea? Um, I need, um, see. oh, actually, should, shouldn't we be back on the record? Yeah. Let's be back on the record. Um, the recording's po paused and all that stuff. Probably shouldn't have been. I think we're live. No. no. Are we recording is it live? Paused. I no. know we're live on YouTube, but not us. We're not recorded. No. Now it's recording. Yes, okay, thank Here you. We go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're at the public hearing, April 27, 2021, the 2 p.m. session. We are speaking about 2020-73BZ, 2500 Park Avenue in the Bronx. We're back on the record. Okay, so we still haven't received the DOT sign-off, right? Correct. Okay. So here's, here's my next proposal. We have a special hearing set up for this on Friday of no particular assigned time. How about 10 what? 10 o'clock. Oh, we say 10 o'clock. Okay. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, you know, but 10 o'clock, could it be one o'clock? You know, I'm just throwing out these ideas. Um, so could we do with cal our council's permission, a closed vote? Uh, yeah, or yes, given that um, there's been sufficient notice of the deadline. Okay, Thank so, you. okay, yeah, so, all right, so we could do a closed vote. So, um, Kevin Williams or um, Amber, Amber is in the oh. waiting room. Oh, oh, wow. Sorry, people weren't in. Okay. Okay, Amber is in. I thought I saw Kevin. He's there. He's there somewhere. So Faye or Faye Ann, someone tell us whether that would work, that we do a closed vote on Friday um, and we'll try to, you know, so far we're saying 10 o'clock because that's obvious. Tony's um, lobbying for 10 o'clock. <laughs> later somebody else will cover this okay yeah. one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock I, I know so four o'clock we'll know more tomorrow we'll know more on thursday right so what i'm guessing is 10 o'clock should work because it we're giving them two more days yeah right? we'll accommodate we'll accommodate whatever the board is willing to do at this point it's literally down to like crossing t's and dotting i's i we we tried to respond to everything today and it was, it's, it was sort of just like wording on things. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're game for whatever. Um, Friday happens to be the only day that I personally had in the last four years without meetings. Um, so I, I'm chair, if the rest of the board is game, we will do whatever we have to, to, uh, to facilitate making it as painless as possible in a, painful process. Okay. 
All right. No, I mean, we picked Friday because it yeah. gives you time. Well, it gives us time to finish up the resolution and things like that. Um, right. um, what I'd like to know is because, of course, our council is drafting resolution. Is there are there finalized things that council could be using or are we still we still have open things? I think. So, yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Tracy, you saw the patients. I mean, we included all the language that was requested, cross-referenced it through 500 pages of documents. Um, at this point in time, if anything, you know, came up, uh, you know, I, I think it would be tangential and, and easy to input. So, I mean, I think you would be pretty safe drafting a resolution. And if there's an additional matter that gets plugged into the uh, commitment letter, or something, I think it would be relatively minor and easy to edit. And Tracy, I'll let you. Yeah, I think you should submit the last version of everything that was submitted today. Yeah, um, to, to be formally, formally yeah. submitted. And then if there's any more edits, we can take it from there. Okay. Okay. So, um, yes. And as soon as you receive whatever it is you receive, so make sure you submit it to us so that it can be as quickly as possible if it's a final thing incorporated into the resolution, okay? Got okay. it. Got it, okay. So because this is a public hearing, we need to go to the public. <laughs> okay, okay. so the case that we're discussing is 2020-73-BZ, 2500 Park Avenue in the Bronx. The call-in number is 646-558-8668. <clears throat> eight, eight, the Zoom webinar ID number is 983-2660-8679. The passcode should you need it is 953-309. And when you call in, you want to raise your hand. It's star nine to raise your hand and star six to unmute to speak. And if you're in the Zoom room already, you can press um, your Zoom hand. Raise your Zoom hand. Raise your Zoom hand, sorry. <laughs> press, raise. We're all a little punchy now. Um, nope. Okay, so there's nobody in the Zoom room anymore. Um, so, okay. So then I guess we just say, every time you get something that's, a, you know, with an approval, submit it to us um, so as much turnaround as we can and let us know when you have all of the approvals in place so that we can know that at Friday at 10 a.m. Um, we're not going to be in the position we are right now. Yeah, it's like Groundhog's Day, um, except maybe more painful. So <laughs> yes, Chair, we... <laughs> We want this to, you know, to be over as much as you uh, all do. And, uh, you know, uh, we really appreciate every person here. We know how hard you work and taking time off on a Friday uh, to, to add another hearing. Uh, you know, we, of course, would like to avoid this um, and we will do everything we can to expedite immediately uh, to get there. We're almost there. So um, I was hoping to not prolong the collective pain of staff at the board who have really done as much as possible, as well as all of the, the members of the board who have provided very thoughtful comments. Um, so we will 
do our very best to respond immediately. And hopefully we'll get something here after hours and cut off the pain. <laughs> so we're, I, we're, I see, we're game. Okay. I see the pain in Miss Hayes' face. And I, I know. I to <laughs> a smile <laughs> so much. <laughs> so we're all working towards that goal. Please don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Um, Okay, that's done. We're done. Yeah, see you Friday. Okay, this concludes the public hearing for April 27th, 2021, 2 p.m. session. Okay, Friday at 10 a.m. Okay, everyone. Well, yeah, for this case, Friday, April 20, what is it, April 30th at yeah. 10 a.m. Great.